Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Genuinely Interested Podcast. My name is Roy Bensvi. I'm your host. And this week, we have a very special and inspiring guest, Jessica Cox. I mean, where to start with her? She, Her accolades are unbelievable. Black belt in Taekwondo, pilot, surfer, certified scuba diver, Guinness World Record holder, TED Talks, motivational speaker, guest of honor at the White House, and list goes on and on and on and on and on. And the reason all these things are amazing, I mean, they would be amazing for anyone, but the reason is she has no arms. She was born without any arms. And if you go back to what I said, I said pilot. So she is the first armless pilot in the world, which is quite the achievement. She has a can-do-everything type of attitude and mentality. And I think the most important thing about Jessica is her mindset, uh, that unbreakable will to achieve things that most people just say like, oh, it's too hard or I don't want to try this. Or she just has this adventurous spirit and a spirit that doesn't break. And I think more than anything, that's what's interesting about Jessica is that mindset. So I was happy to have her on the podcast and talk to her and get some insights from her about how she grew up, about how she sees certain things and how she eliminated I can't from her vocabulary. And I think she um, inspires a lot of people. I know she definitely inspires me. The other day I was on my couch feeling sorry for myself uh, after a hard day and I was doing some research on her and I just got my ass up and went on a run because that's what I should be. So feeling sorry for yourself achieves absolutely zero. I mean, it's natural. We all do it, but you should definitely try to eliminate that as much as possible from your life. And listening to someone like Jessica speak is something you should be doing every day. If not Jessica, then people like Jessica who want to inspire people to be the best version of themselves. This isn't something that you can consume once a month or once every two months. You should be consuming this daily because every day brings a different challenge. And sometimes you wake up in the morning and you feel like shit. And it's not, you didn't wake up on the best side, uh, the wrong side of bed. Something happened, you had a fight, whatever the reason, you need something to get you going. You need someone that's gone through it and is telling you, you can still achieve that thing. Whatever X is for you, you can achieve it and you can become a better version of yourself. So people like Jessica are crucial. Um, I think there's a small percentage of people. There's a lot of fake and false motivational speakers that haven't necessarily achieved anything and are just trying to get you to sign up to some 21-day program on their website and are selling a lot of snake oil. There's a lot of disingenuous stuff like that on the internet. But if you really look for them, you can find people like Jessica and others who are genuine, who have a real message and have really done inspiring things. So cling on to these type of people and just get a little bit better each day. It's all we can do. A little bit better than we were yesterday. So without further ado, here is this week's guest, Jessica Cox. The Genuinely Interested Podcast. Hey, Jessica, how you doing? Doing good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I, uh, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. Uh, I've been following your, um, your journey and watching the documentary. And if you put a list of inspiring people, you're definitely in the top 10. I mean, worldwide. Easy. Thank you. So I'm, uh, I'm happy to have you on. So I'm just going to kind of start listing off some of the accolades uh, right off the bat. 
So black belt in Taekwondo, pilot, uh, you surf, certified scuba diver, Guinness World Record holder, two TED Talks, motivational. I could go on and on and on. And for any person, this would be an amazing, impressive resume. But what makes it even more impressive is you've done all these things. And like I said, so much more. And you've done that without the usage of your arms. It's yeah, this is my normal. And when you say that, I, you know, I don't think, oh, well, what's so different about that? Because for me, this is my normal. This is all I've ever known since day one. I didn't have arms to begin with. So my normal is to connect with my feet and to connect with my world using my feet to do everything that you can imagine that hands and arms can do. Instead, I do it with my feet. Yeah, there are some things that are hard to do when I'm walking because they're already in use. But for the most part, um, my body's adapted in a way to be independent with uh, toes and feet. But you have to to realize on some level, I mean, you're obviously the only pilot in the world uh, with with no arms. So it is it is um, something unique. It's, it's, it's not something that every person can do right most people even with arms they're not pilots there's a very small percentage of people who are actually pilots so to do that it's exceptional you know that is true there are so few people out there that are pilots and i think part of my message is also to get the word out that you should consider flying and i mean it is rare the fact that obviously i am the only person in the world who flies a plane with just my feet on the controls no special modifications, not a specially built airplane. This is just a standard air coupe airplane. And I think about it at times. And if you would have asked me, you know, maybe 10 years ago, if I would have thought of it, it would have just totally blown my mind. The idea that I can be in a plane right now and, and, and control that with my feet without anyone else in that plane with me. It's, it's pretty empowering. Yeah, you know, my dad, he was, um, I don't think he is anymore, but he used to be a pilot in, in, like you said, small planes. I don't know, like the technical terms for them. But I remember once him and his friend, who was a pilot as well, much more experienced one, they took me in the small Cessna. It must have been maybe a four-seater, I think. I, I was small. I was mm-hmm. eight or nine years old. And they just wanted to mess with me. So about halfway through, they turned the engine off. And this thing just started to free fall. <laughs> and then, you know, they, he did this for maybe 20 seconds or so. And then he put the engine back on and just, you know, rose back up. But like, I felt all my insides just like go right up to, to, to my to my throat where I felt like I was going to throw up. And I think that was something that they probably shouldn't have done to a young kid because for, for a few years afterwards, I was like, yeah, I, I, I don't want to go on a plane. <laughs> I'm not interested anymore. But I always remember that as a, as a fun now, in hindsight, is a fun experience. Yeah, that's true. You were kind of traumatized, sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so for you, where does that inner strength uh, come from? Essentially, believing in yourself that you can do something that uh, most people, I'm assuming at the time, told you you can't do. Ever since I, I mean, as far back as I can remember, everyone would tell me, you know, you don't have arms, you can't do that, or some kind of... Uh, verbiage like that, that insinuated that the fact that I didn't have arms would mean that it's not possible for me. And I mean, I used to get so angry at times and frustrated because I would say, oh, yes, I can. Or at least I'd say that in my head because it was so constant and being told that constantly almost like uh, makes you build up this like energy inside you that you want to just say to the world, I can do it. And uh, that definitely played a part. But But who I am is I am a person who is an adventure seeker and someone who uh, will any opportunity crosses my path, I will jump on it and do it and and do it because that's just a part of my personality, hands or no hands. Uh, But yeah, it's 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 been a part of my life since the very beginning. I mean, I'll be honest, the other day, I, you know, I, I was I had a rough day. I was working really hard. I was tired and um, I didn't want to go on a run like I told myself I would. But while I was doing the research and, and watching the documentary and, and some of the TED Talks and you were talking about eliminating I can't from the vocabulary. And I just as tired as I was, I just got my my ass up and I was like, go run. And I, I went on that run. And I think it's important for people to have these type 
of role models or, or inspirational figures in their lives. And, and it's one of those things you have to, I don't think it's enough to like listen to it once every few months. It's almost like you have to listen to it daily or, or a few times a week to really get that into your, um, into, I don't know, hardwired into your system. Mm-hmm. It's, it's true. It's amazing how powerful words can be. And um, I mean, they shape the way we think. If we say that we can't, we immediately eliminate that possibility from our world. But if we can stop ourselves from saying it, then we don't believe it. And we work with what we have and we make it happen or we find a way. And that was some that was a part of my whole process since the beginning, because out of necessity, I had to find a way. Um, as you said, it becomes hardwired. And I guess I'm fortunate in that sense. Fortunately for me, I should say, because I had to have that hardwired uh, mental thought every time I did something because I didn't have a choice. And for me, since I did it over and over and over over the years, it became almost like a part of the process and it became a part of me. So it's not as hard to tap into that mindset that it would then it would be if maybe I did have arms and I had things a lot easier, maybe it would have been harder to tap into that ability. But because it's part of my everyday and anyone can develop it just like any kind of muscle, the more you use it, the stronger it gets. Um, it's something that's a potential in everyone. Yeah. And I mean, you, you mentioned that, uh, that you are, you get creative. Is that something I would assume that your, your thinking is almost different than most people because you essentially have to get very creative with, with just day-to-day things that maybe most of us would take for granted, right? Tying shoes, all these different things. So essentially over time, it would make you an amazing problem solver, right? Is, is that part of, of, of your thinking? Yes, problem solving, this ability to problem solve that came originally out of necessity and now it's becoming like my greatest gift is applied to everything that I do. And in fact, it's at a level now that I'm teaching people this problem solving mentality. And that's why I decided to become a speaker and to become a coach. And when I perform workshops and things, I take people through a mental challenge and I share with them that strategy that I have learned in my life that they can apply to theirs for problem solving. Yeah. So, so let's go back maybe a little bit, a lot, maybe not a little bit, but uh, you know, when, when you were growing up, kids tend to be cruel regardless of anything, right? Like we all went through it. How are the kids um, in, in school when you grew up? Kids can be brutal and kids can be kind Um, You get that all those reactions, um, I mean, for those times that I may have been picked on or the times that I got bullied, for every time I got bullied and picked on, there was always another kid there who would stand up for me, who would say things like, oh, don't listen to him. He's just a bully and or don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And it's funny how that really diffused the effect of the bully. And that's what I tell kids all the time when I speak to them. I say, you know what? You don't have to always stand up to a bully, but if you can stand up for someone and be there for someone when they are picked on, it makes it a lot a little easier to know that they have a friend there who's telling them, you know, hey, that's okay, don't listen to that person, or um, you know, don't give them, don't even bother with them. It makes it easier for that child. And that's what I like to get out there when I talk to students. And what were your parents like growing up? Were they supportive of all your ideas? Yes, I mean, I will do I do remember going home to mom and telling her sometimes when I was picked on and she'd say, you know, just don't listen to them or um, you know, they they don't know what they're talking about. Um, but my parents were the best cheerleaders for me. My mom said you can do anything, you know, and God has a reason for for everything and and what you're going through right now, he has a plan for you and it's amazing because she lived out that and my dad said he's never once shed a tear about my birth condition. He never saw me as a victim. So I didn't have the choice to see myself as a victim. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I think that's so important. It, I, I don't want to say lucky, but it, it is some sort of, it's, it's there is luck in this where you could have been born to parents that their whole mentality would have been completely different and that would have made you a different person, right? Naturally, yes. The 
the role of a parent is is really critical for any child, especially a child who has extra hardships or extra challenges that they're sta- that they're stacked up against them. Yeah. Yeah, personally, I don't have kids, so I uh, I don't know what that's like. But yeah, I would I would assume so. I see, you know, I, I especially nowadays I see this helicopter parent type movement where you know when I was small, my my parents would let me fall, they'd let me run, they'd let me do whatever I wanted essentially to. I don't know if it was consciously to toughen me up, but that was just how people raise their kids, and now everyone's very cautious about where the kid goes, what he does, can he fall, can you say something bad around them? And I, I almost think it's it's a little bit too much defense, too much uh, coddling of kids. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I mean, I don't know if it's a popular opinion, but it's just, it's my opinion. Yeah, I love that opinion. And I'm not a parent either, but I do have a niece. And I know the other day when she was learning to ride her bicycle, she went down a hill and she was just getting so much momentum and she fell. And it was so traumatic for her that she had to call me and tell me about it. I'm like, you know what? Sometimes you have to fall down so that you know, and you learn and you get back up and you just become stronger and you know not to go down a hill at that speed. (laughs) So (laughs) it's a learning experience and we can't really shelter our children from those learning experiences in life because it it, it takes us and makes us who we are and, and helps us for later down the line when we have life challenges. So I've seen you talk, you know, in different uh, venues and you diffuse the situation of the awkwardness that's sometimes there with humor and, and you do it very, very well. Like uh, look, man, no hands or the, I've seen, I saw like a license plate that said unarmed, which I thought was hilarious. And I, I honestly think that humor is, is the best solution for most situations when people laugh all their guard just they they let their guard down it's just it's automatic um is that something that you kind of developed over time yes humor is a wonderful way to remind people that you're human and um unfortunately you know people who have visual differences you know you you don't see a, a woman without arms very often so when you do see them you almost get startled or shocked or you're curious and sometimes you just have to remind that person that, yeah, I might be different, but I'm as human as you and your family and your neighbors. And so I think that that's what's wonderful about humor. It breaks the ice to remind people about the humanity of anyone who's different. Have you ever thought about going into stand-up comedy? I thought That'll about a, it, yeah. yeah. And there isn't an armless pilot, uh, armless, I should say, there is not an armless comic out there yet. So I guess there is. Uh, a position for me if I do want to take that on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can do, I mean, you can do it. If anyone can, it's definitely you. I, I love it. You know, there is something really addicting about getting a good laugh when you're on stage and you hear people lighten up and get a good laugh out of something you said. So I can totally see that catching on once I decide to put my mind to it. And if I want to pursue that route. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Um, so yeah, so a little bit back to, to the childhood. At age uh, 14, if I'm not mistaken, you decided you don't you didn't want pro- prosthetics anymore. Can you can you maybe explain why? I was given the option of prosthetic arms from the young age of three. And from the moment I tried my first prosthetic arm, it was so foreign to me because at three, you've already developed your sense of the world with what you have. And I'd already made that connection with my toes and my feet. Those are my hands and those are my fingers. And since I made that connection, all of a sudden introducing me to something that wasn't during those critical early years, I never connected with them. But I put up with them for 11 years. I tried them. I went to therapy to learn how to write with them. I learned how to eat with them. I carried my bags with them. I learned how to carry my doll with it. Um, and I, I gave it a good 11 years and said, you know, to heck with this. I'm done trying to fit this normal expectation uh, that society puts on all of us. I am unique. And I think the sooner I embrace that, the better my life is going to get. And it made, it made my life better because the moment I moved away from those prosthetics, I decided to just go through life and, and get over it and, and um, you know, embrace it and, and deal with how people were going to respond to me no matter what. 
Um, and I, and it, and it was a process. It took years to get there. It was a journey of acceptance, but once I did it, it made life so much easier. I mean, what was it about him? Did it just feel unnatural to you? Yeah, because, you know, I have to really state this disclaimer out there because there's so many people who have hope restored when they see a prosthetic limb. These are people who've lost limbs, maybe due to trauma, disease, many veterans coming back. So a prosthetic gives them their life back. But for me, I didn't know what prosthetics were from the beginning. From the beginning, I was creating my normal out of what I had, which was I didn't have arms to begin with. So the prosthetics were simply an aesthetic thing for me. Um, they filled the empty sleeves, but that's the extent of it because I could do things with my toes and feet. And I just never, I mean, they're made out of plaster. They have metal in them. They are very hot. They're heavy. They weigh about 10 pounds. They weighed me down. Um, I didn't feel comfortable wearing them because it's like wearing maybe like football equipment when you're yeah. all around all day, you know, uh, it wasn't comfortable. Um, in the future, if they come up with some amazing prosthetics that are, you know, super lightweight, like a pound each or something, and they have all the function, is that something that you would consider or are you completely content uh, with the way things are? My life is at this point is without the arms. So if I were to start over again with learning to use like they say these great prosthetics, if, you know, if they, I'm sure one day they'll, they, they will come out with them. I would have to start from the beginning again. Mm, and yeah. everything in my life thus far has been defined by my not having prosthetics or arms. And it's, it's been wonderful. I don't think I would want another chance at a life with prosthetics, no matter how impressive they would be. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Um, so how do you go essentially from being voted the shyest kid in school to a motivational speaker that's selling out venues? That's a pretty big 180, right? It Where did is. that transformation happen? I think it, it it also reinforces that message that anyone can do anything they want to do. You know, we all have certain labels, like that label in high school being titled the most shy. A student in the whole school, in our senior class, we all have different labels, but we don't have to be defined by them. And I think that just reinforces that, that, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. And for me to go, like you said, maybe a 180 to go from being shy to being a speaker now on stage in front of thousands, um, it, it just says there are no limits. It says that for anyone, anyone and everyone. And I think I like to live my life without limitations or anyone's labels. And we should all do the same. So how do you look at challenges? I, I know for, for most people, challenges are challenging, right? Like you, you, you either do it or you don't. And some people, you know, they try and they fail once and they're done. and may, and but you look at challenges completely different. It's interesting to get your insight because uh, just it just seems like there's no quit once you set your mind to something. It, it's 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 almost like it's predetermined. It's already done once you set your mind to it. Mm -hmm. And that's what everyone can um, do. It's just recognizing you're going to get through it. Recognizing you're going to come out of the challenge even stronger than you were before. And doing one thing, one small thing, maybe every day to get through it, but keeping that positive mindset. And mm -hmm. for me, when I have a challenge cross my path, I just have to like dissect it in my head. How am I going to do this? It might seem intimidating at first, but let's break this down a little into smaller baby steps. And just a whole bunch of baby steps ends up becoming the, you get through it. So you don't look at the whole thing. You break it down by steps. And then once you finish step one, you look how you're going to finish step two and onwards and onwards. Yes, that's the trick is really breaking it down into doable steps. 
yeah, that's how I kind of run <laughs> every, every like quarter of a mile. I'm like a quarter of a mile more, a quarter of a mile more. Cause I, I hate running. I absolutely hate running, but uh-huh. it's obviously something I have to do. So I kind of look at it, um, in the same way. Do you see maybe, do you see maybe society having a little bit of a victim mentality problem? Um, cause there's a lot of people like when you look at, at yourself and a lot of other people who achieve amazing things, it almost, it, it almost says there's no reason why anybody else can. It's, it's as long as you put your mind to it, you can actually do it. And, and you and a lot of other people are living proof. And there's people that, again, like they'll fail once, or there's a whole lot of TV shows out there and reality TV shows of people crying all day and not really trying to achieve their goals or, or, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, Mm -hmm. I just feel like there is that, that the society is going a little bit more in that direction than it should. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Cause I think especially now we feel, you know, that we're victims of maybe a pandemic or whatever the challenges come with it being in quarantine. Some people feel, uh, victimized by that. Um, and everyone can either choose to see the victim side of things or choose to see the victor side of things naturally. Um, but like you're saying, some people dwell on it because a lot of people feed off the negative, unfortunately. Um, people, you know, that's why people like things that are sensationalized or reality TV where there's drama. Um, and people like that kind of thing. I mean, I mean, it's kind of sick, but it's, it's what people, I don't know why they, they like to see things that are worse off. So it makes Mm -hmm. them feel better about themselves, but see, that's the wrong approach. If you can surround yourself with the positive, with the good in life, then it's just going to elevate you all the more as you elevate other people, you'll elevate yourself. And if you can surround yourself with only the positive stuff, it keeps your world moving forward instead of stagnant. Yeah. Yeah, there's people that go through some sort of a trauma and that trauma ends up defining who they are for the worst, right? And then you have people who do go through trauma, which is, you know, it's it's a good portion of society, however you define trauma. And they end up being people like yourself or people who uh, go through war and then end up uh, writing books about it and... um, teaching about it and doing positive things rather than just dwelling on the negative of what happened to them. So I think that, I think that's where people in society should, um, should go towards rather than the other one. Yes. It's uh, there's this famous quote. Um, life is 10% what happens to you. 90% of how you respond to it. Yeah. And I love that quote. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. But you also have a quote that is innovation starts with I will find a way, which I thought was a, was a great one. Can you maybe walk us through how you got to that? Well, since the beginning, it was always about I will find a way. Let me just give you an example. When I went to swim lessons and we had the high diving board and the challenge was how do I climb to the top of that high diving board? Because I wanted to jump off like all the other kids. So I had to find a way to have someone behind me. So in case I did fall back, because climbing a ladder, I use my chin and shoulder to pull up my upper body and use my feet like anyone else would up going up a ladder. So I had to find a way to climb a ladder to get to the top and finally jump off. And it was worth it. So for me, finding a way is just the start. It's just having that mindset from the get go that I'm going to find a way. And it's, it's just, you know, I'm going to use creativity, uh, whatever it takes. I might have to reinvent a way to do this, but it doesn't matter. But I'll find that way. As far as your feet, I mean, you have more control in your feet than 99.9% of the human population. Majority of us, our feet are, for lack of a better term, they're dumb. Other than walk, they don't really have the skills that arms have. How long did it basically take you to to get to that level of control that you have now? The control in my feet, I mean, it's something I still work on, I mean, every day because 
I can use my toes. Like for example, when I'm on the piano playing, um, there's only only certain toes that function as well as the big toe, mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah. the opposable thumb. You know, the the thumb yeah, is like yeah. the really strong. Well, for me, it's my big toe, and trying to figure it out um, will basically trying to use my toes on on the keys. I'm still trying to figure out certain keys, so I'm still working on some things like stretching other toes other than the second and first toe. So it's it's a work in progress. It is. It never ends. So maybe take us to that day when you flew for the first time by yourself, completely by yourself. H how was that feeling? That must have been amazing. Yeah. And in fact, I'm going to go flying tomorrow morning again. And it always reminds me of that first time I flew. It was like this feeling of, I'm pilot in command yeah. and it was the most empowering experience to know that I am controlling this airplane with just my feet and that I can essentially at that point I'm holding my life in my own feet at that moment because whatever I'm doing with these controls is keeping this airplane in the sky and I could just as well not control the airplane and the airplane could fall out of the sky. Uh, so it's this realization. It hits home really uh, well knowing that accountability that that we all have and for me it was that accountability that i have for what happens in my life can you maybe take us through the the, the technical aspect like how do you physically how do you fly the, uh, the the plane sure it was um for me i had my feet on the controls so it's like putting your feet up um i mean it's it's a lot of ab work because my feet don't actually touch the ground. I'm keeping my feet on the controls of the airplane. And I'm using my left foot to power the throttle. And then I'm, the throttle is kind of like the gas of a car. So I'm powering that throttle with my left foot. My right foot is holding on the yoke, which is kind of like the steering wheel of a car. Uh, and I'm using that foot, my foot on the yoke, my right foot on the yoke. And I'm, I'm, my legs are crisscrossed. So my left's on the Left foot's on the throttle, right foot's on the yoke, and I'm controlling that airplane, and I'm taking off, and I'm watching all the instruments. Um, I'm having to look out for traffic. I'm also communicating on the radio. So there's a lot going on. Yeah, it's a lot of work. <laughs> yes, it's a lot of work. Wow. So how how long? I mean, were did you have any problems initially trying to get um trying to get that license? Like, were there some bureaucratic issues that you dealt with? You know, there were challenges that we thought we were going to have, but it turns out that as long as I did everything the right way, um, we didn't have challenges. I had a check ride, which is basically like when you go in, take your driver's license test. But for me, the, it's a call, for a pilot, it's called a check ride. And uh, the examiner told me, you know, hey, if you can show me how you can safely maneuver this airplane and fly it with your nose... I don't see why you shouldn't be a pilot. If you can show me how you can flyly, fly and safely maneuver this airplane with your feet, you should become, there should be no reason why you shouldn't become a pilot. So um, surprisingly, the examiner from the Federal Aviation Administration was very supportive of it. And I, you know, I went through all the requirements. As long as I met the requirements and could prove that I could fly an airplane safely, they were in support of it. Oh, it's amazing. And And do they have different, laws for different states or or is this across the country um there are different laws uh for what's called my sport pilot certificate um and it has certain requirements like i can do daytime flying and also i reach i can reach a maximum altitude of ten thousand feet so there are certain restrictions for every single certification or license as a pilot i see um now, as, as far as driving, you have a completely regular driver's license, right? You can rent cars from uh, Avis and, and drive anywhere in any, any car, correct? Yes. I, I basically drive any car that's an automatic. And no one at any rental car agency has stopped me. Um, <laughs> I'll just put it like that. Yeah, that's fine. I don't think anyone knows how to drive a, a stick in this country anyway. So that's that's okay. <laughs> um <laughs> And I was just wondering if you ever had, you know, a, a situation where a cop pulls you over essentially and he sees you 
you know, just driving with your feet and probably freaks out for a second? Does well, I'll happen? tell you, uh, no one has ever freaked out. People who have driven around maybe will freak out and they will, you know, buckle up their seatbelt right away and you can tell how tense they are. But um, if I've ever been pulled over by a police officer, they always play it off really cool. Like this is normal. Nothing's out of the ordinary here. <laughs> I think that's part <laughs> of their, their the demeanor they have to kind of personify, you know. So it's yeah. like they don't I mean, like like they've seen it all, you know. So I haven't yeah. caught someone, but I have caught some curious police officers who will say, well, how exactly does this work? How exactly are you driving this vehicle? So they will get the curiosity will get the best of them and they will stop me and, and ask how, how it works. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, is that something you you get annoyed by or, or is it fine you're just used to or people ask you questions? I don't get annoyed by it because it's just part of the package. I mean, I put myself out there as a speaker on stages in front of thousands of people. So evidently, I don't mind it. I don't mind the curiosity. Yeah, there are some days I will admit when I will be going to the grocery store and I'm there to do simple tasks like get a gallon of milk. And then all of a sudden people start asking me questions and I don't have the energy or I'm not in the mood to answer every uh, every question uh, about my difference. I just want to kind of go in and do what I got to do and leave. But I mean, I'm only human in that regard. So, um, but I have to understand for someone seeing me, it is their first time encountering someone who doesn't have arms. Perhaps for some of them, it's the first time they've encountered someone with a disability and they, they want to know. And, and I have to be an ambassador in a sense that I have to be positive about it because then it gives them the experience to the next time they see someone who's different. Will they um, feel like, oh, they shouldn't say anything or, you know, it kind of it kind of prefaces, it sets it up for the next time they see someone who might be different than them. But they can't be tiring. Like I, I always think about celebrities in that instance, right? They, they can't go outside without someone coming up to them. And sometimes, like you said, you're just not in the mood. You just want to go get something from the store. You don't really feel like talking. You had a bad day. You had a fight with your uh, girlfriend or boyfriend. So it's it, it, we're human, right? Like we have ups yeah. and downs. We're not always, we don't always have the same mood. We're not always uppity and happy. So that's very yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. So do you get a lot of, um, I guess, emails or from people telling you that how much you inspired them and um, how much they maybe aspire to be like you and stuff like that? I do. I get a lot of emails and some of them are incredibly touching. Um, I've had a couple emails from people who were somewhat su who were suicidal and hearing oh, wow. my story gave them hope to keep trying. And that is there's really nothing more rewarding than that to know that just being out there, putting yourself out there can help someone really reexamine their own life. So yeah, I do get a lot of emails, a lot of uh, calls too, and it's it's very rewarding. And is that part of your um, life mission now to help kids in similar situations? It is. Some of my work is uh, with my foundation that helps people with disabilities. And so I feel like I have been so blessed in my life. I've been given so many opportunities. I've been given wonderful parents and not everyone has that. So the least I can do is provide a resource for those kids who might be struggling and may not have that same kind of support. And that's why I had started a foundation called Right Footed Foundation International to help with mentoring, advocating, educating, and inspiring children with disabilities children and adults with disabilities, but I have a special place in my heart for children with disabilities. Yeah. Yeah. I, we, we, I saw a few in the documentary and your heart just goes out to them. It's, um, it's already a difficult period in your life. So uh, when you compound all the other things, it, it makes it so much harder. Yeah, very true. So maybe tell us a little bit about how your experience uh, in Ethiopia was. Um, you received such a warm welcome there. And I guess it seems like over there, the problem is is much, much bigger than it, than it is here. I mean, there's no funds, there's no support, no facilities, um, a lot of preconceived ideas about what disabilities are and what people are capable of. Um, yeah, so kind of what was your experience there and, and some of your takeaways? Well, 
I've had the wonderful opportunity to see the world as a speaker, as a coach, as an advocate, and as an ambassador for um, a Nobel Peace Prize winning organization called Humanity and Inclusion. And they work on um, reaching people with disabilities uh, all over the world. And anyway, when I traveled to Ethiopia, it was on behalf of the Humanity Inclusion trip. And I was able to see with my own eyes, as I've seen in many developing countries, the reality of people with disabilities, the reality that some people born with disabilities are hidden at home. Some people are put in cages when they have a disability. Some people are not allowed to go to school. Some people are not allowed to go to work. And to see that and realize that all that they really need is the opportunity. And there's things that stand in the way of them receiving that opportunity. It's very hard to witness, um, but it also makes my role visiting that country and the advocacy that I'm doing with the press and the speaking that I'm doing, it makes it all the more important because it needs to start with shifting different attitudes about people with disabilities. It starts with that attitude and the understanding that they have the same capabilities if they're given the support and the opportunity. They can achieve things. They can go to school. They can get a job and do great things with their lives. Do you, do you leave there with a different perspective on things? When I leave a country, yes, for sure. I am grateful for the fact that I was given every opportunity in the world and nothing ever held me back. And I was given such wonderful parents. Um, but it also really uh, reiterates to me that I need to continue the work that I'm doing globally to make sure that those people who don't have a voice, people with disabilities who are voiceless um, because of their situations, that, that I'm there to be their voice. And that I'm there to, because I have the ability to do so, that I'm there to share with the world that disability doesn't mean inability. Yeah. Yeah, there was a there was a story um, there where they kept this poor girl in, in, in their house for 16 years or so, um, where, you know, in the U.S., because she, she had um, some disability, um, but in the U.S., she would have obviously gotten treatment and, and maybe by, you know, her late teens, she could have been, I don't know if okay, but she would have been way, way better than she was um, than just staying at home for 16 years in, in Ethiopia with no treatment at all. So I, I just thought that was such a, such a sad story that potentially, again, like if you put her in the right place, she could have received uh, the treatment that she needed. And I'm sure there's a lot of stories like that across, you know, developing nations. Yes, that's definitely true. Sometimes it's literally access to a single medication that has been as so available in other places in the world, like the United States. Like one of the children in that um, documentary um, was a woman, a young girl who had epilepsy. And so during our interview, she went into an epileptic attack, a seizure, and it's hard to think that if she just had access to the epilepsy medication that you can get access to anytime, anywhere in the United States, if you just had, she had access to it, it would help her life and make her life better. But because she can't, and even if she did have access to this medication, it would be probably put on the black market or something. Um, unfortunately, she, you know, it's, it's the reality and it's, it's sad. It's hard to watch that. Yeah. And, you know, I, th I think that goes back a little bit to, to that victim mentality here where I personally, I grew up in, in Africa, half, half my childhood, I would say about six or seven years. And you really see when you see like a country that's in, in dire need of, of basic things, it's very different where people here complain about, Oh, it's difficult and it's hard. And, but then you go to countries where it's really difficult and it's really hard. And, and you know, the U.S. is the, the richest country on earth. And if you really set your mind to something, most likely you're going to achieve it. doesn't matter what background you're from. And that's not the case in, in, in many parts of the world. And when you see that firsthand, it gives you a much different perspective on what hardship is, on what opportunities are. And I, I almost think that people need to go live in those places for a few months just so they can have the, those perspectives as well. Yes, that's so true. 
Um, so I know you had a couple of TED talks. Um, how how was your experience in uh, in Tel Aviv? How and and how did that come about? Well, for me, I had this wonderful opportunity to to do my TED talk, my first TED TEDx talk. At um, it was basically called TEDx on it was the Capitol Hill, meaning in Washington D.C. So I was like, this was the first time they were doing it. And I was like, I have to go to this as my first TEDx because it's on Capitol Hill in the Library of Congress. And that was just yeah. pretty phenomenal to be able to have that opportunity. And, and we made it possible. And it was a very short, sweet talk. And then I was invited to speak in Israel just a, a year and a half ago because um, Israel had their TEDx talk and they were um, it was a pretty big following and a huge audience. I mean, supposedly their tickets to this TEDx were like sold out a year and a half in advance or something uh, ridiculous like that. So it was like a neat opportunity. I'd never been to Israel before. So I flew into Tel Aviv and just had this incredible opportunity. And the challenge was it had to be all memorized. So I had to memorize the entire speech because they were going to translate it uh, into Hebrew. Uh, prior to me being on stage so that anyone in the audience could see the translations. So that made it even more difficult because I had to essentially memorize word for word my entire uh, speech, which I don't normally deliver speeches word for word. Yeah, so you couldn't change because then it wouldn't be it, it wouldn't be correct with the uh, subtitles. Exactly. So it was oh, the that's... toughest speech I've ever had to prepare for because I had to rehearse it and when you want to rehearse it, you don't want to sound memorized. You want to sound natural. So you have to rehearse it past the point of memorization to the point where it becomes natural. I mean, you did an amazing job. I, I would never have known. Thank you. That's good to know that it came off naturally. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is, if, if, you, if I had to list things, that is by far uh, my biggest fear. Uh, like, I, I don't even know what would be a close second. Cause I don't really have a lot of fears, but just going in front of a, an audience, uh, and, and public speaking is, yeah, I, I think a lot of people, but definitely for me, that's the, that would be my number one, um, fear. So you can do it. If you run like that and you tell me that those, you get through those mental blocks running, you can easily get up there and speak. You just, it's the same. It's all that it's all mental. Yeah, no, hundred percent. You know, I've I was in the army. I've done a lot of different uh, extreme sports and, and traveled, and it's just you know, public speaking has always. The only time I've ever been on stage was actually in the army when we had to put on some play, but I had ten seconds and I had my back to the audience, so I couldn't see anyone, <laughs> and I I just I did my ten seconds and I ran off and I remember afterwards just my whole body was just in jitters like it was just oh, it was almost like jumping out of a plane the adrenaline that I had yeah yeah crazy so um so do you have any big future projects that you know you you wanna you wanna work on maybe climbing Kilimanjaro or becoming a skipper on a boat or a stand up or there's so many different things. I definitely have a lot of plans in mind. One of them is right now to fly across the country in an airplane oh, wow. because I've flown here in the state of Arizona, but I'd like to fly to other states. I think it's just an adventure to fly somewhere. Um, just for, for, for perspective, uh, this airplane only cruises at 80 miles per hour, so it's a sm very slow airplane. But yeah. um, I want to make it across the country and see you know, what it would be like uh, to do that. So that is the first thing here on my bucket list. No, uh, no mountaineering, uh, objectives, nothing I, like climbing. I used to say, um, I used to say I've been working on this, um, harness to help me with rock climbing because someone wanted to work with me on that. And I thought, you know, I've, I've tried it out. Uh, but who knows? I'm not limiting myself to that. That might be a possibility. I, I don't know if Kilimanjaro requires much as far as climbing, but it, um, yeah, who knows? No, Kilimanjaro is pretty much just a, it's a, it's a strenuous hike up. Um, I, I would I would say out of all the big mountains, because um, I, I believe it's around nineteen thousand feet, it's probably the easiest, uh, probably the least cold out of all of them. So I think that's why a lot of people do it every year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, 
put it on the bucket list. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, I guess just one final question. Um, is there one thing uh, in, in your daily activity that you still have difficulty with or still haven't maybe fully mastered something that gives you, you know, pause sometimes You're like, ah, oh, this again. You know, you ha I have to be completely honest with people because yes, my feet can do so many things from flying a plane to writing and typing 30 words per minute, text messaging and all that. Um, and I think about the thing that I still struggle with and, and, you know, your listeners can't see this, but you can right now because we're on video, but you can see my hair's up in a nice little bun here. Yep. Um, as a woman with long hair, and it gets up to 105 degrees today, 105 degrees Fahrenheit, I need my hair in a ponytail. And, and it's hard to tie your hair in a ponytail with your feet and legs. Because while I could put my foot behind my head, but grabbing that rubber band at the same time with the uh, limited length of my toes, I should say, it is something I'm still working on is tying a ponytail, tying my hair up in a nice bun. So in the meantime, I have taught my husband, Patrick, how to do a really darn good hair, hairdo here. As you can see, it's pretty good. Bun. He did a good job. He did a good job. <laughs> yeah. So that is something that is something I still have to work on. And he um, and you two met in um, Taekwondo, right? Yes. We both practice Taekwondo. Is that something you, you both uh, still do? We do. We went to class last night. He teaches Taekwondo full time and I'm a student and we practice. He's a fifth degree black belt in Taekwondo and I'm a fourth degree black belt and we love it. It's a wonderful martial art and it's the way it's yeah. the only reason we met. So, yeah, no, that's amazing. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a first. I love um, martial arts, boxing. Taekwondo, Muay Thai, I love all of it. So that's I, when I, yeah, when I initially saw that you did that and I saw you breaking those um, wooden, uh, what do you call them? Like the wooden. Uh, the, the, the boards. The boards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The wooden boards. Yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, that was amazing. So oh, thank you. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I know you have to go. I don't want to take up too much of your time and you're sitting outside and it's very hot. So I appreciate you you know, not complaining about anything and just being a good sport. I really appreciate it. Um, Thank you for inviting me on the, on your podcast, Roy. I appreciate it. And come out here anytime, go flying with me, maybe in the winter. <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. I love it. Now, now I, I, I'm, I'm past my, uh, my, my childhood trauma. So now I'm, I'm good with uh, flying in small planes. Good. Uh, good. Where can people uh, find you and where can people uh, donate to the foundation? Uh, maybe just give us the, the links and the places. Please uh, come find me on find me on my website, which is jessicacox.com. And you can find out about my coaching, my motivational speaking. You can find me all over social media. I have regular posts of my flying and things like that on Facebook. It's JCMS Official is my Facebook page. And uh, you can find me on other social media as well. But please do, yes, uh, look me up and connect. And I've been sending out Motivation Monday emails free for anyone. So if you go to possiblethinking.com and subscribe to that, uh, I'll send you out an email weekly that gives you a little bit of a boost for the week. You heard it here, guys. Do that. Link, subscribe, go check her out. She's amazing. Her talks are amazing. And uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Jessica. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.